0: Hi, this is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of interviewing a friend and colleague, Dr. Yuri Slama, who is in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Charles University and General University Hospital in Prague in the Czech Republic. The topic of this podcast is gonna be his recent publication, a uh, really important and impressive study uh, titled Analysis of Risk Factors for Recurrence in Cervical Cancer Patients After Fertility Sparing Treatment, the Fertility Sparing Surgery Retrospective Multi-Center Study. Yuri, thank you so much for for, uh, your accepting our invitation to the podcast. Congratulations on on this study. Really very, very impressive, and uh, we're really glad to have you.
1: Thank you for your very kind invitation. Thank you for for your congratulations. Uh, I'm really happy to have an opportunity to share with you some data from our paper.
0: Fantastic. So, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, there were really a lot of questions that were uh, submitted uh, for this uh, discussion, but I wanted to ask you uh, if we can start, uh, if you could provide an overview of the issue and and share with us uh, what information has been gathered up to this point as it pertains to this particular topic on fertility sparing treatment in uh, in cervical cancer?
1: Uh, I will start a little bit more generally. Uh, In developed countries, we are observing a trend of increasing age of first birth, uh, leading to an increase in the number of patients with early stage cervical cancer who are planning to become pregnant. Uh, Fertility-sparing treatment is uh, therefore a hot topic. Uh, According to a number of recommendations, fertility-sparing treatment for cervical cancer uh, should follow similar uh, procedures to radical surgical treatment. Uh, And the gold standard has therefore long been radical trachelectomy Mm. uh, performed vaginally or abdominally. Uh, Both procedures have produced uh, satisfactory oncological results Uh, In addition, radical vaginal trachelectomy also yields uh, good uh, perinatological results, uh, but it's a technically complicated operation with a long learning curve. Uh, Abdominal radical trachelectomy, on the the other hand, uh, is an easier procedure that can be performed by an experienced oncogynacologic surgeon, but the perinatologic uh, results are not so satisfactory. Uh, the fertility rate is significantly reduced and the risk of severe prematurity increases. Uh, therefore, the trend in the recent years has been to use non-radical surgical procedures, uh, especially for tumors up to two centimeters, such as conization or simple vaginal uh, trachelectomy, uh, which have very good perinatological results and also much more favorable oncological outcomes but uh, these have been documented in small cohorts, uh, mainly from single institutions.
0: Yeah, perfect, so I think that that's a, that's a great setup to, to some of the discussions we're gonna have, because obviously we already have the results of the conserved trial, that recent presentation of the SHAPE trial, so we'll get into that in a, in a little bit, but um, can you tell us uh, for this particular
1: study, what was your objective? Uh, The the aim of uh, our study was to collect multi-institutional retrospective data on oncologic and uh, perinatologic outcomes in patients with uh, early cervical cancer who underwent any type of fertility sparing procedure and were not enrolled in any clinical trial. Uh, The main objective was to identify prognostic factors, including the influence Uh, of uh, the radicality of each cervical procedure.
0: Great, and um, when you talk about the criteria for inclusion, can you highlight uh, specifically who were those patients and also what was your primary outcome?
1: Uh, The inclusion criteria were set uh, so that any patient who had undergone any type of fertility sparing treatment could be included. Uh, women between 18 and 40 years of age with stage 1A cervical cancer with lymphovascular space invasion or higher, regardless of histotype, regardless of tumor grade or uh, history of knee adjuvant chemotherapy, were included. Uh, Associations between disease and treatment-related characteristics with the risk of recurrence were then analyzed.
0: Great. And then uh, just for clarification, and this was including. Uh, patients with FIGO 2018 classification um, up to four centimeters?
1: We didn't have any uh, upper border, So we included all the patients with stage 1A1 uh, lymphoscrawl space invasion positive and higher.
0: Very well. So now, um, before we get on to the rest of the questions, obviously have lots of questions about uh, the results and the implications. Highlight for us, what were the results of this study? And, and, you know, obviously lots of patients, 733 patients, I believe. So um, what, what are some of the highlights to take away?
1: Yeah, as you mentioned, we we enrolled a total of 733 patients uh, from 44 institutions across 13 European countries who underwent uh, uh, fertility-sparing s- surgery Uh, Almost half of the patients were stage 1B1 uh, Figo uh, 2018 and two thirds were nulliparous. Uh, After uh, quite a long median follow-up of 72 months, uh, 7% of patients uh, experienced recurrence and 2.6 died because of the disease. Uh, The risk of recurrence was, and this was the probably most important uh, information, Uh, three times higher in patients with tumors larger than two centimeters in size, uh, irrespective of treatment radicality. Uh, uh, Recurrence risk in patient did not differ between patient uh, who underwent radical trachelectomy and patient who underwent non-radical procedure. Uh, Furthermore, uh, the risk of recurrence uh, did not differ between the presence of LVSI or when tumors were classified as less than one centimeter and tumors between one and two centimeters in size. Uh, we also analyzed perinatological outcomes. However, they are not yet published and the main results will be presented at the, uh, the ESGO Congress in Istanbul this autumn.
0: Oh, fantastic. I'll, I'll definitely be there for, for that presentation. Um, so obviously very important uh, results, uh, 7% recurrence rate, uh, 2.6 percent of uh, death uh, from uh, from this approach, and I'll start first um, by asking you sort of like a general question, and this is a question that uh, or a discussion we had recently after the results of the shape trial were were shown. Um, and would you agree? Or you know, certainly there's there's a lot of discussion regarding the fact that based on your results, based on the shape result, based on the conserve that patients with less than two centimeters, those patients don't really need a radical procedure. In other words, there's really no need for a radical trachelectomy, one can say. Uh, And then also for patients with tumors greater than two centimeters, you know, certainly it seems like three times higher recurrence rate. That's obviously concerning when doing a radical trachelectomy. So can we say if less than two doesn't need a radical trachelectomy, and more than two shouldn't be having a radical tricholectomy. are we looking at the end of an era for radical tricholectomy? Uh,
1: yes, uh, I agree with both statements. Uh, in patients with HIV-associated uh, tumors up to two centimeters with negative lymph nodes, including negative ultra-staging of sentinel lymph nodes, there is sufficient evidence for the use of conization or simple vaginal tracholectomy. Uh, I see further use of radical trachelectomy as uh, uh, very limited and expect uh, it to be replaced in selected cases of patients with tumor larger than two centimeters by administration of knee-adjuvant chemotherapy followed by simple trachelectomy.
0: Yeah, so that actually brings us to the one of the first questions by our fellows. This one's from uh, Giulio Bonaldo in, uh, in Milan. Um, and he asked, you know, certainly we saw that there was a threefold higher recurrence rate in your study for tumors greater than two centimeters. Do you think that these patients just need a more radical procedure um, than, than what we're offering? Um, and if not, then can we still offer fertility sparing to anybody with tumors greater than two centimeters?
1: Uh, I truly believe that at the least some patients can be offered an effective fertility sparing procedure even in case of tumors larger than two centimeters. Uh, I consider multi-step management to be the most promising where the first step is pelvic lymphadenectomy including Sentinel lymph node biopsy followed by platinum-based neoadjuvant chemotherapy in dose density, density regimen if uh, all regional nodes are negative. Uh, and in case of a good local response, a simple trachelectomy is then performed. Uh, however, at present, it's essential to stress that this is uh, an experimental procedure that should only be performed by my meaning in controlled clinical trials.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A very, very good point to uh, to raise. Um, now, this next question also comes from Julio Bonaldo. and. Uh, you know, I, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts. Uh, he says, patients with stage 1B1 cervical cancer that underwent radical procedures had higher recurrence rate, 7.4%, than patients who underwent a non-radical procedure, 5.2%. And one could say, well, you know, is this statistically different or not? Um, but he, he just wanted to hear your thoughts as to why would somebody with a more radical procedure then have a, a higher recurrence rate than somebody with a less radical procedure?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting question. Uh, we, we also mentioned that, that difference. Um, the stage 1B1 patients who underwent radical trachelectomy were significantly more often treated between the years 2000 and 2010, whereas patients who underwent non-radical surgery were more often treated in, in, in last decade. Uh, Most protocols in the last decade included a sentinel lymph node biopsy in addition to performing a pelvic lymphadenectomy. Uh, Thus, I suspect that the reason for the higher recurrence rate in patients treated with radical trachelectomy may be due to the absence of sentinel lymph node ultrastaging and the failure to recognize low-volume metastases that were causing uh, the recurrence
0: yeah and i I think that that brings up a, a really important point about patient selection. And you're absolutely right. I think that, you know as as you mentioned, this is that's an interesting comment that, you know, those patients were towards the earlier time point of of the study rather than towards the latter time point where we are just much more selective as to who do we uh, who do we offer these procedures to uh, as well. And also, you know, one of the things that i've I've come across is that, Typically, if a patient had a more radical procedure, that probably means that that patient had a bigger tumor or a worse looking tumor rather than a non-radical procedure and thus the reason for the for the higher recurrence. Um, I'll jump to the question by Ryan Kahn from Memorial Sloan Kettering. Um, he asked all 208 of the patients with stage 1 A1 disease had lymphovascular, Invasion. However, less than fifty percent underwent lymph node assessment. Uh, why do you think this is? Um, do you think this might have impacted the results?
1: Uh, lymph vascular space invasion positivity was uh, uh, the inclusion criterion for uh, patients in stage one. One A uh, patients in stage one A one A one without uh, LVSI were not included in uh, in, in the trial. Uh, lymph node evaluation was uh, indicated according to each institution's protocol, and therefore I can't answer why the evaluation was not performed. Uh, on the other hand, our result did not show a worse prognosis in patients with tumors up to two centimeters in case of lymph vascular space invasion positivity.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great point, and um, also, I mean, it is it, actually the difference also between conserve and shape in conserve. Uh, Patients had no evidence of lymphovascular invasion and the shape lymphovascular invasion was, was uh, included. In, and it still showed that, that, you know, certainly the radicality is not needed in, in that setting. Uh, Jerry, the, another question from Ryan Kahn is um, with regards to this concept of neoadjuvant chemotherapy in the larger tumors. Um, his question is, do you foresee data from the uh, ongoing Contessa-Neocon uh, trial Tying into these results, you think these results will either support or refute a push towards less is more approach in the management of cervical cancer in this category?
1: I expect uh, the results of the study to provide a clear answer to benefit of knee adjuvant chemotherapy and fertility sparing treatment of tumors between two and four centimeters in size and to determine uh, the optimal indications for its administration. I personally believe that the study will confirm that this strategy can be successful in selected patients with stage 1 B2 cervical cancer. Yeah
0: Yeah. And then of course, obviously, it's kind of like asking you to predict an outcome and it's always a, it's always a challenge. So um, this next question is from Anisa Mburo. She's in Kenya. And she asked, what were the patient selection criteria for the 30 out of the 733 patients who received adjuvant treatment, uh, platinum-based chemotherapy? And, um, and what, what were the outcomes of, of those patients?
1: The selection criteria were set according to the protocol of the every specific institution and varied significantly from one another. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, surprisingly small number of patients who were treated with neoadjuvant adjuvant chemotherapy in, in our trial uh, does not allow us to draw any conclusion uh, about the benefits and outcomes of such treatment, uh, mainly because of uh, quite inconsistent indication criteria.
0: Yeah, and, and of course, obviously, the numbers are small as well. Uh, Anissa also asked, obviously, a patient population that is also very pertinent to her and her uh, and uh, her care. Um, while HIV was not considered a variable, do you consider that the recommendations from your study would be any different for an HIV-infected patient? The
1: prognostic impact of HIV or Many other diseases that seriously alter the immune system uh, was not assessed in our study. Uh, however, I believe that the criteria for treating HIV positive patients would not differ from HIV negative patients.
0: Very well. Um, from Georgia now, Vansa Kociavili. Uh, she asked, in your study, diagnostic colonization was performed in 61% of patients and a tumor size greater than two centimeters was an important risk factor for recurrence. Is there any role for colonization in very early stage cervical cancer in order to determine or minimize the size of the tumor? And (laughs) I have my opinion about this question as well, but love to hear your (laughs) thoughts.
1: Absolutely, on the contrary. I consider high proportion of diagnostic colonization to be an alarming result, especially in macroscopic tumors of stage 1B1 and higher. Uh, the consequence was uh, the frequent finding of positive margins and uh, resulting the necessity of second cervical procedure. However, such a procedure significantly increases the risk of preterm delivery. Uh, by my meaning, much better would be to improve preoperative diagnostics, including colposcopy and expert transrectal ultrasound uh, to reduce the proportion of diagnostic colonizations.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad again that you, you, uh, you provided this uh, very well articulated response, because again, you know, I, I keep driving at this message. It, it, conization. Is not indicated in grossly positive tumors. So this concept of doing a conization for debulking of cervical cancer absolutely makes no sense at all. And therefore, I you know I agree. I think conization is for us to determine what strategies to use for for microscopic disease. So um, thank you for for that. Uh, this next question, Jennifer Davis Oliveira from the UK, uh, she asked: Given that this was uh, an international multi institutional study. How challenging was it for you to gather all of this data? And what did you find as the main obstacles? I think it's a great question because obviously um, puts in perspective the the challenges of gathering so much data from many institutions. So love to hear your thoughts. And and for young investigators, how can they learn from from you and and your study?
1: The study was a retrospective observational study uh, involving several gynecologic-oncologic working groups, from the Europe that were working under the umbrella of European network of gynecologic oncology groups. And that was the reason why the excellent organization structure of the working groups made the data collection possible and uh, database creation very efficient. The main obstacle uh, was the necessary administrative steps that delay the start of the study, such as the need to obtain approval from local ethics committees and so on.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's always a challenge. And, you know, again, congratulations, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, having done similar studies, it, it's... Uh, it's really remarkable to capture all of that information. So again, congratulations to you and your team. Uh, second question from Jennifer. I think that you're going to say, uh, you know, wait for the publication, but I'll ask it anyway because she she asked. Did you look at pregnancy rates and outcome post fertility sparing treatment, and what did they show?
1: <laughs> I can a little bit open the door. Uh, detailed data on peri- perinatalological outcomes are not yet published, of course. However, the most in, uh, mo- most interesting finding uh, was that the only half of the women uh, tried to conceive during the long follow-up period after the fertility sparing surgery. Of uh, the women who did try to become pregnant, forty-six uh, percent succeeded. Most became pregnant uh, spontaneously. Uh, pregnancy after IVF was uh, recorded only in about fourteen percent of women. And it was not surprising that the pregnancy was achieved more um, more often in the group of women after non radical surgery.
0: Yeah, um, sort of similar question on the topic. Uh, Nuria Agusti asking from Barcelona. Um, do you did you explore surgical radicality and the impact of patients' fertility in this study, or what are your thoughts overall as to surgical radicality and likelihood of getting pregnant?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Patients after non-radical surgery had a really significantly higher rate of successful pregnancy and much higher rate of term delivery. Uh, The overall fertility rate in whole group was uh, 63% uh, in the non-radically operated group uh, compared with 26% only in the radical trachelectomy group.
0: And um, this next question, Yuri, comes from uh, Nuria again, and I think it brings up a very important and relevant topic. And of course, obviously, we, we always talk about less than two and more than two as if it was like such an exact measurement and, and that we had such high accuracy rates of measuring that tumor size. But she asked, uh, tumor size as a continuous variable Uh, shows significant difference. However, no specific data is reported on a specific cutoff point at which a significant oncologic outcomes, disease-free survival or overall survival uh, is shown. So in other words, is there any one particular measurement? And I think, you know, certainly probably less than two, probably, you know, it doesn't make a difference, but more than two, is there any one particular measurement At which point you say, definitely not a fertility sparing.
1: The exact cutoff value for distinguishing the size of the tumor with a favorable prognosis from one with an unfavorable prognosis um, has not been specified in our trial. Uh, However, a significant difference in oncologic parameters uh, mentioned was observed in tumors just above 2 centimeters threshold. And increased
0: steadily with the size yeah, and and uh, and I think again, uh, there's a lot more focus these days on that two to four centimeters. Mm-hmm. that at what point do you go straight to chemoradiation versus even a radical hysterectomy? So you know certainly this opens up another opportunity for discussion with the uh, fertility sparing treatments. Um, this next question comes from Andrea Rossati at Gemelli in Rome. Um, And he asked, does the heterogeneity in the type of lymph node staging, neoadjuvant chemotherapy, actually also open versus minimally invasive surgical approach, could this impact risk and patterns of recurrence?
1: We unfortunately did not find any effect on pattern of uh, recurrence based on uh, the investigated parameters. However, a surprising finding was uh, the high proportion of multifocal multifocal uh, recurrences, and the only twenty seven percent of patients had a solitary recurrence in the cervix that allows uh, allowed uh, subsequent salvage surgery, which was unexpectedly low low percentage.
0: Yeah, and and, uh, and I'll follow it up with regards to that question on uh, open versus minimally invasive, and we we previously published on the. The IRTA study is a retrospective, obviously registry as well, showing there was no difference between open and minimally invasive for radical trephlectomy. But obviously, again, acknowledging that the recurrence rates in those patients are so low that perhaps we didn't have enough numbers to see a difference. What, what are, what are your, what are your thoughts uh, uh, if offering radical uh, whether open or minimally invasive uh, approach should be taken?
1: Oh. I truly believe that uh, uh, according to the data from a LAC trial, uh, if we are speaking about any radical uh, procedure done for cervical cancer, we are speaking about the open uh, approach. Uh, That's my point of view. I I I truly believe that the LAC trial was so strong and brings us so alarming data that that there is no other option.
0: Well, I, I should just uh, um, inform our audience that, that that question, A, was not planted. And certainly, <laughs> I, I did not direct your your, your answer. So, but uh, I agree with you. Uh, we we do the same. Uh, we offer um, open radical trachelectomies when that's indicated. Now, uh, Gary, uh, one, one, um, one last question, obviously, uh, and I want to be respectful of your time. Um, this has been really very informative, but we often ask, What do you do in your practice? So um, you have a patient less than two centimeters with a uh, standard histology, squamous, adenosquamous, adenocarcinoma, who is interested in future fertility. Today, what do you offer
1: that patient? In patients with HPV-associated tumors up to two centimeters with negative lymph nodes, including sentinel lymph nodes, uh, assessed by ultra staging protocol we offer colonization or simple vaginal trachelectomy depending on tumor localization based on colposcopic very very uh, uh, detailed colposcopic assessment right. uh, in patients with larger tumor uh, fertility sparing treatment uh, is not recommended uh, in, in our department
0: yeah, I think that uh, that mimics also our recommendation uh, as well, and I think again, um, one needs to be extremely careful in um, offering fertility sparing treatment to patients with more than two centimeters outside of a of a clinical trial. Um, I want to thank you for your for your time again. Congratulations on on this uh, manuscript, and and congratulations to all of the authors who um, helped contribute to this uh, manuscript as well. Um, thank you again for what you have contributed so far in the past for the literature in gynecologic oncology. Really, you have done remarkable work, and really very very impressive, and have driven practice for for many patients. So thank you and congratulations.
1: Thank you too. And thank you for your kind invitation once again. See you,
0: see you soon.